Welcome to Clean Beauty Insiders, the podcast with me, Elsie Rutterford. And me, Dominika Minorovic. We discuss all things beauty and business. Clean Beauty Insiders, the podcast is brought to you by sustainable and natural skincare brand, Bybee. For 15% off your first order at Bybee, simply use the code CBI15 at Bybee.com. That's B-Y-B-I dot com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Clean Beauty Insiders podcast, season two, episode 12. Hello. Welcome back, guys. Hope you're all well. Still surviving lockdown. We're getting through it. Just <laughs> about. <laughs> Feels like we've been inside for a really, really long time. But, you know, perhaps freedom is on the horizon. Who knows? I'm going to remain an optimist. Well, we've continued to be busy. Um, We've been interviewing um, a host of amazing founders um, and CEOs, and it's been a really interesting um, journey that we've had in the last couple of weeks. So today we wanted to um, share our interview with Michelle, um, who is founder of Floral Street, Michelle Feeney. Um, This was such an interesting interview. Her experience is just phenomenal. It actually puts us to shame, doesn't it? (laughs) She's an incredibly experienced woman. I mean, on her CV, she has the likes of Le Maire, Mac, Saint-Tropez. Uh, she did the PR for French and Saunders. Like, yeah, crazy, crazy experience. But, oh my goodness, we were hanging off her every word. Yeah, she tells some great stories. She name dropped some uber celebs, which was also fun. Um, so this one's a really good interview and I think her experience in beauty and then as a startup founder um, is not to be missed. So without further ado, here's Michelle. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much. Strange times to be connected from three different um, venues, but um, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Um, So I think we've probably got quite a lot to cover today. Um, But to kick off, do you want to just tell us a bit more um, about your story, about your background, kind of the Michelle, you know, how I got to where I am now, um, and then a little little bit more about Floral Street? Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, I'm you know, I'm in my 50s and I have had this most incredible journey of life so far and it's unfolding to be equally exciting now. But um, I, Michelle Feeney, I founded Floral Street um, two and a half years. We launched Floral Street two and a half years ago. Um, but previously to that, I've had the most incredible 30-year, over 30-year um experience predominantly in the beauty industry but I did start in 1983 in London as fashion show production and fashion PR and that was when really fashion week in London was only just being formed and it was a very very exciting time and lots of women were in the business of fashion and PR and beauty and it, it it, it was a very inspiring time in the 80s when people could just invent things and it was all new and we'd, you know, we'd had punk and we were going into new romantic. It's very exciting. And I think that's really helped spur me to do things differently most of my life and to not be afraid um, to do things differently. Um, I then got an incredible opportunity. I mean, it's, it's a big, long... I could write a book, which many people do ask me to do now, but... Um, uh, an incredible journey, but I, I, I'll, I'll put it into bite sizes that I think were 
interesting. The, the second, the third role I had was with um, Lynn Frank's PR, and she's very famous. If ever you've watched Absolutely Fabulous, basically it was based on our agency and particularly her. And we handled all the press and publicity for French and Saunders at the time. And they used to come in the office. So it's very much based on that. But she was, so I, I basically, in my first couple of jobs, had worked for these dynamic women who were just doing it. They just started something and got on with it without a rule book or anything else. And they also empowered us young women to do the same. So at 26, I was a director of Lynn Franks. I was developing a beauty division for her. I had um, access uh, to budgets and, and to do things really, really differently. And that's always stuck with me. And, and one of the big um, branding elements, if you like, of the 80s was people started to take notice of what the logo looked like what your, the logo sort of became a thing in the 80s and the way that you presented yourself um, in that way. And so I think that's something that's always stuck with me throughout my entire career is, is how you present yourself in different mediums. Um, I then fell in love um, with the father of my child, who is um, who is was and is a record producer and songwriter. And he said, "Oh, you know, I'm moving to New York. I've got this big opportunity. Will you come?" Um, and so, being 26, 27, um, I thought, "Why not?" And I literally, um, Lynn Franks tried to talk me out of it. Uh, I literally rented out my flats and moved to New York without a plan um, and ended up forming my own company in New York at 27, Michelle Feeney PR. And my first client was Bumble and Bumble, which is the hair. And it was a hair salon. It didn't have any products. Um, and the owner, Michael Gordon, um, took me in sort of thing and he couldn't afford to really pay me as much as he wanted to so he gave me office space right in the middle of Manhattan and I literally said we've got to do some products and that's when we started to develop the Bumble and Bumble products and um, I changed the logo uh, to be a sort of a signature, Bumble and Bumble. And when, in 1993, um, I was one week uh, about to have my son, who's now 26, and um, we launched the Bumble and Bumble products. And in amongst all of that, I also had uh, nightclub clients, Peter Gation. So I was, so I launched Club USA, The Tunnel, Limelight. I was working with hosts of celebrities and everything in New York. It's, it's, it sounds really bonkers, but um, I had this kind of popular culture side and also this beauty side. Um, so I had my son. Um, I carried on working. I went back to my office one week after having my son because I don't know if people actually realize, but in America, if you do not work, you do not eat. And we're seeing that happening now in America, there's no backup system. And um, because I had my own company and it was very small with people, um, I didn't, I, if I didn't do it, nobody else would do it. So I used to sort of breastfeed my son in the office and all sorts of things. Um, 
And I continued to build uh, build a company. But what, what the Bumble and Bumble launch had done is it, it had given me a lot of attention in the beauty world. And I got a phone call from Estee Lauder Companies in New York at that time that was still a privately owned company. And they only had Estee Lauder, the brand, Clinique, the brand, um, Aramis, um, the brand, and Prescriptives. Um, and they basically headhunted me in. And I did 10 interviews. Um, the final one of which I said, is this the last interview? And, and the very senior woman who was interviewing me asked me why. And I said, because I've run out of clothes, basically, um, to be presentable in. Um, but uh, I, they offered me a big role, a global role with prescriptives. Um, and everything happened all at once. I, I became a single mom. Weirdly, Bumble and Bumble literally burnt down and my office was burnt. And I had been offered this, this, um, this new big role. And it was, it was almost like the universe conspiring to, um, to say, this is what you have to do. And so I took this massive leap into corporate America. And I'm by now 32, 31 and a half, 32. And I had a corner office in the General Motors building on the 42nd floor overlooking Manhattan. And I had to pinch myself as if this was some kind of dream, you know, that, um, that this had happened to me. And then I really, really started to take myself seriously. Um, I was a single mom. I had to grow up very, very quickly. I was in a foreign place with no backup system. And suddenly I was in this massive, um, you know, beauty corporation um, and sitting around a board table, you know, high up in the sky, making decisions about multiple millions. Um, so I used the first two years of being in Estee Lauder companies. I worked with some of the best people that went on to be, you know, they're now group presidents at Lauder. I used those two years, which were difficult on, on a personal level and on a professional level, because it was a foreign language to me. And I was used to doing things in a very uh, modern British way. Um, and, and suddenly I was in a, a corporate culture. Um, but I knew that I was doing the best learning, some of the best learning in my life. So I got to work with Evelyn Lauder, who was the founder of the Breast Cancer Research Fund with the Pink Ribbon. You know, I got to work with Leonard Lauder. I got to work with all these incredible people that I could just watch and learn. Um, and I became much, much better at my game. I, I took myself seriously. I dressed differently. I listened. I learned. I still wasn't afraid to have an opinion. Um, that would never go away. And in Nestle Lauder companies, they had this, this um, saying that, that good work was rewarded with more work. So that meant that if you were good, you got more to do. And I got more to do. So I was given um, Aramis to do, which not just had Aramis, this traditional fragrance, but they'd just done the first um, licensing agreement with Tommy Hilfiger. So I got to work with Tommy himself and Tommy's team. And again, wow, what a learning. This is all pre-internet, 
pre-anything like that. So if you wanted your brand to get known, you had to really, really go into heartlands of different communities, um, which I learned from Tommy Hilfiger. You know, America's a massive place and it's not just a massive geographical place. It's a massive um, socio-economic, um, sociological um, sort of place because it's, it's got many, many different tribes. And, and if you want to be successful in America, you have to learn how to speak to all the different tribes. And he was excellent at that. Um, I then got given this little pot of cream, um, which Estee Lauder had bought. Uh, and they said, can you do something with this? Literally, can you do something with this? Um, and that happened to be called um, Creme de la Mer. And then there was one person and myself working on trying to build Creme de la Mer as a kind of a brand or a hero product. And that's what I did. I, I looked at this cream as though it was one of my sort of celebrity clients and like it was a small company. And I told the story, which was very, very interesting about Max Huber. Um, and I took my knowledge about tribes and I thought this is a, this is, you know, it's an expensive cream. It's $150 a pot. I've got to go to the tribe that can afford this. So I decided to, that a good idea was to launch it at a very elite department store and, and in very elite um, groupings like in Dallas in Texas where you've got very wealthy wealthy people and I did it differently and I kept saying it's going to be big it's going to be big and nobody sort of believed and suddenly I launched it and it went huge uh, literally almost seven million dollars overnight was sold and we, we'd run out of the green um, so that propelled me to another level in Estee Lauder companies um, and they wanted me to become the managing director of Creme de la Mer. And I turned it down because, which I don't think many people did with, with opportunity, but I was still a single mom. And to be a number one in a big corporation like that, it is, you have to give 300% of your life, you know? And I thought if I do that, I won't really be able to see my son enough. Um, so what they did was create another opportunity. They said, we're buying this brand and it's called, you know, it's called Mac. And we think you'd be great in that. So I interviewed with John Dempsey, who had been appointed president. And um, he took me on and off we went. And it was life changing again. You know, it was a Canadian company um, been founded by two men who were partners in life and partners in business. And they were doing things so differently um, you know, it was it was all the things that are coming to fruition now in society, like transgender, um, you know, gay rights. It was recyclability in the in the lipsticks already. It was cruelty free. It was so ahead of its time. You know, we're talking early nineties here, and I just thought saw this as this massive opportunity to be me within the corporation and I, seven years of my life were taken up with that um, and that was um, taking a small independent company uh, merging it into a bigger corporation but keeping the soul of that brand true 
And also for me, it was bringing in some of my past, which was the fashion side of things, because it didn't have a it didn't have a footprint in fashion. And I created these um, senior artists that were like groups of makeup artists. And we, we, we ended up working backstage at all the shows. And by the time I exited um, Mac seven years on, uh, we, were, we were involved with over 20 fashion weeks around the globe. So, and, and also what happened to me there, um, which really combined what I felt about life and also about work, I got the opportunity to sort of lead the Mac AIDS Fund for a few years and beyond that create opportunities. Um, and that was where I saw that commerce and charitable giving could come together in a really, really strong way to change, to save lives, to change lives, to lobby governments, um, and it was at the heart of Mac. And so um, I think the, one of the highest moments in my professional life was um, I, I got to work with the United Nations and I, I was um, sat on a board um, for AIDS in Africa um, to stimulate giving from American companies into Africa where the problems were at the time. And we ended up um, being in the big um, assembly hall where you see on TV and I had Mary J. Blige perform, who I'd signed for the um, MacAids Fund, uh, a Stevie Wonder song. And we gave um, nearly a million dollars to the UN, um, to Kofi Annan. And I think that's one of the highs in my life where I thought, wow, you know, business and you can do good with what you're doing, being commercial. Um, so beyond there, um, I, I then met my husband, my now husband. It's always involving a man, of course. And um, uh, we ended up, I ended up moving back to the UK. Um, I launched India and China from, from the UK because they moved my role from New York to, to the UK. Um, and then I had my second child, Emma, when I was uh, 41. And I decided it was really time to sort of step out. I, I'd done... I have these feelings that when you're done, you should be done and you should move. And um, a bit like the burning down of Bumble, that was a bit, but um, it was time to let go. I wasn't, I was no longer at head office in New York. I, I felt I'd launched, you know, 40 countries for MAC Cosmetics. I didn't see what else I could contribute and I needed to take my talents elsewhere. So I took a tiny bit of time off. Um, and then I got offered Saint-Tropez um, by a private equity company. And I, I'd never had a tan in my life. And I turned it down a couple of times. Um, and to be honest with you, at 43, I'd had my second child. I'd moved countries. I, had, I didn't have my big role anymore. It was quite a trying time um, emotionally and mental health-wise for me. And I thought, my goodness, I've got to do something. So I went and had a spray tan in Debenhams. And it made me feel so good. Um, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. But it's being marketed completely wrongly. It was all wags and orange. And I thought this is a transformational beauty treatment that has this massive effect on your self-esteem. Because if you look well, people say you look well and you feel well. You know. So <clears throat> what I did is what I took it on and I decided to turn it around from a tanning company 
um, to a beauty company. And so I started to reformulate the products to be much better to solve the issues of smell and, and, and dirtying the sheets. I elevated it, um, the logo and the, the photography and the way it, it told its story. And I called it fashionable tan, not fake tan. Um, I launched it into America, although it had been invented there and nobody had taken the business there and I launched it there and it became big. And Sephora didn't even have a tanning business in the States. So um, until Saint-Tropez came in and built that business for them. Uh, um, um, Needless to say, we sold the company for a lot of money and I made some money for the first time independently on my own. Uh, which was a huge um, landmark for me in my early 40s, um, you know, literally becoming a millionaire in my own right. Um, A a very emotional, very interesting time for somebody that had worked as a single mom um, in New York for so many years. It felt like a real milestone. Um, And then PZ Cousins bought... um, Saint-Tropez and asked me if I'd stay on and build a beauty division for them and that's when I signed Kate Moss to do the naked the famous naked shop with Saint-Tropez which propelled it even further um whilst I was at that company um, one of my responsibilities was um, Sanctuary Spa and Sanctuary Spa was on Floral Street and literally one day I looked up at the sign I mean I tell this story on the video but um Floral Street sign in Covent Garden. I thought, wouldn't that be a great name for a fragrance company? And so I registered it globally for fragrance. I left um, Pisa Cousins and I decided to take a gap year at 51, which is a really good time to take a gap year because I don't think you really need one when you're younger, but when you're a little bit more mature, you do. You need to reassess you know, what do you want? I I wanted to look at what I wanted the next 10 years of my life to look like, where I wanted to put my skill. Um, But in that gap year, I didn't want to travel physically. Um, I wanted to travel inside and really get to the essence of of me again, uh, not being defined by a brand or my role or anything like that. So, and, and I examined whether or not I should do Floral Street, the brand. Um, because beauty, has a lot of excess packaging, you know, bad messaging. I felt I really, I, I really had to examine whether I wanted to do this. Um, and then a friend of mine found uh, Bernadette Jackson, who's head of product development, said, come on, you, you, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. It's such a good idea. And we started working around my kitchen table And during that gap year, I'd looked at the way that my young adults in my life had shopped or weren't shopping. And um, I realized if I was going to do it, it had to have sustainability at the heart. And we had to tell the story of fragrance really differently. It could not be about this awful television commercial where all my clothes fall off and I get the guy or the girl and, you know, and 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 I'm, I'm... buying something that's cellophane wrapped from a shelf and parting with a lot of money. So that was the four, you know, I'd, and then I started to do mood boards about what I wanted the brand to be like. And that was the journey of the brand. Wow. <laughs> that is 
one of the most remarkable stories I ever heard um, on this podcast. I mean, that experience is just, yeah. I mean, I have so many questions um, okay. <laughs> off the back of that. I mean, um, that just a quick, that's like 35 years of my life in about yeah. it's there. I mean, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think a book is next on, <laughs> on Michelle's to-do list. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have some amazing stories. I mean, Mac, I mean, just the brands um, that you've, you've launched and created are now iconic um, and some of the biggest beauty brands in the world. I mean, to have that kind of experience and then entering into yeah a startup and being able to utilize all of that experience is just amazing um so jumping to floral street it's it's interesting because you hadn't specifically worked in fragrance it sounds like you had kind of dabbled in just about everything apart from fragrance so what was it about that category um when you know there are there is so much to do in in industries like tanning um even skincare um, hair care you know what was it about fragrance that really um, inspired you well it was the name that inspired the fragrances really because you know Covent Garden was the flower market the Victorian flower market I think it's just such a positive name Floral Street um, for you know consumers and what I saw was there was a gap Okay, because I didn't, if you think about it, I was examining whether or not I should even bother doing this brand because I, I, I you know, I do use a bit of a swear word, but I think, you know, the, the world has enough shit, basically, in, in the beauty environment. It has enough products. It's got enough stuff. And, and but when I looked at fragrance, nobody was saying buy this fragrance for you and let me invite you in and teach you so we've got scent school well, I've done fine fragrance at 20% fragrance oil that is affordable for my 16 year old daughter or my you know 78 year old mom um, I wanted to not make it all elusive and French we, we say we're about bunches of flowers here at, at Floral Street, not bouquets. And I think that is a really good analogy. We're not complex. We don't want to think you're buying into a dream, you know, or you're going to get whisked off to Paris on a motorbike and, you know, and get the guy. That's not what it's about. This this brand was all the, all the things, if you think about, you know, Mac was about teaching people to put on makeup. You know, nobody had a tool belt on a department store or in the shop before Mac. And for you guys who are really young and, you know, people don't know that. They don't know there was a time when there wasn't a tool belt on the shop floor and when people weren't makeup artists. You know, Mac and, and, the, and the building of Mac made makeup artistry like hairdressing it made it a valid job to have it made it something you could learn it was a profession so they really it was a game-changing brand and and one that you know I've helped make famous um, with a team of great people but nobody is doing that with fragrance nobody was saying come on in we'll teach you about fragrance and I named the people that work with me Floralistas and we train them with the, with the fragrance house. So I, and I thought nobody is also doing, telling you about the ingredients, where they come from. Nobody is, was doing sustainability. That's not true. Maybe a few little companies attempting 
sustainability and fragrance and packaging, but not really on a bigger scale. And so I thought I can do this. I thought my idea is to do it really, really differently um, and have a go. And despite all the people I know in the industry were saying, oh my God, why are you doing fragrance, Michelle? It's such a hard category. But nobody had looked at it and said, how do we change this? How do we make it different for a modern consumer? And that's what I, that was my challenge to myself. And I thought, I'm going to do this. And once I started to unravel the idea in my head of how I could see this in the future, it started to come together. And, and I don't know about you guys as entrepreneurs and what you've done. You know, some things, I think you have to have a vision and you have to stick to your ultimate vision but along the journey to get to that vision, so many things open up that, that if you are open to deviating from what you think is the path you should be on, you actually end up with a better end result because it's what, it's what the universe is sort of helping you develop. So, you know, I can see from your brand, you've, you've got, it sort of evolved, didn't it, for you guys? You know, you didn't you didn't sit down one day and say, we're going to do this. It sort of evolved for you. And then you start to have the vision of how you want it to be. But then you listen to the consumer. And I think that's... I am loving learning every single day, even after all my experience, like something new. And I think what has... What the customer has shown me is that people really, really want to learn and be involved with fragrance. And I wanted to bring excellent quality fragrance, like Mac brought excellent quality makeup and artistry at an affordable price. You know, I don't want to be the creme de la mer of fragrance at £250 a bottle, or I want to be the Mac of the of the fragrance industry, which is accessible, modern informative and really really good product and it brings a lot of joy you know yeah I love that and I think you're so right you have to be open and flexible and happy to pivot and um happy to like make mistakes and learn from them which is I think something that we're like big advocates of because yeah often things happen for a reason even if they feel like the biggest disaster that your business is ever going to face and you you kind of learn from it and move on so I think that mindset is yeah is, is so true I, I don't think there is a mistake I think it just go it doesn't go the way you thought it would go so so you know even with me I I I did go to polytechnic which was a sort of an equivalent of um of uni um at that time, a more practical university, as it were. And I got all the way through to the finals and I, I flunked one of the exams and I didn't go back to retake it. So I ultimately didn't get my degree. And that meant I didn't go on the path I might have done had I... I mean, it's devastating at the time and I, I couldn't go home. I didn't feel worthy. There were so many things. But... Uh, my flatmate at the time, Bev, she, she was in fashion. She was a fashion designer. She said, move to London. I've got this woman that you can meet. And I think you'd be really good at this thing called PR. And I got on a coach from Newcastle upon Time, where I was at college, and came down and went to a party to meet this potential boss. 
uh, who was very drunk by the time I got there. And then I, um, I ended up working for her for no money and sleeping on my friend's floor. And that changed my entire destiny of my life. Now, a lot of people might say you failed and made the mistake by not going back and doing the exam. But I see it as it just changed my destiny, you know. And, and when you've got your own company, you have to quickly act. If something's not working, you have to be honest with yourself and say, try not, you know, if you keep on keeping on trying to make things work that don't work all the time, it leads to a lot of wasted energy and wasted money usually. So I think it's about listening, isn't it? Really listening and really learning every day in your own business to make some decisions. Yeah, definitely. Can we also just go back to the fact that you did PR for French and Saunders? That is just, what, <laughs> what were they like? Oh, no, I, 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 great. I know, well, I mean, what my heroines, the two of them. No, I wasn't responsible for their PR. They... Our agency did, so we had all different departments, and there was a there was a a, 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 a sort of a, a department that dealt with celebs and TV and music and everything, and they were in there. So I mean that that TV show, absolutely fabulous. I can't tell you. It's just it was like real life at Lim Franks. It was I couldn't find I didn't find it very funny at first because it was like real life. But uh, well, I mean, what was brilliant about the eighties, like. I worked with Jean-Paul Gaultier in his first fashion show. You know, I, my life has been so blessed with excitement. And uh, and I I just think it was an incredible time to watch. Again, it was the women thing. You know, there hadn't been any female comedians, really. And suddenly French and Saunders came on and did their thing, which is still hilarious to watch now. They're rerunning it during this lockdown time, you know. And then they went on to write brilliant things. And it was all, if you look at it, it's kind of seeing some role models really out there. Because previously to that, you know, who were my female role models, either in business or as comedians or artists? There were very few, you know. Um, and so I guess I've been blessed since the 80s to to be um, buoyed on and, and excited about moving on. But because I also had an early life with celebrity around me and also models. I mean, I remember, you know, Naomi... It was her first ever fashion show we were producing. And she had come on her, her first ever show she was in a fashion show. And she had come on her period, basically, and was a young, you know, 15, 16 year old who was in distress at having a period and having to go on stage. And I was taping because I was the junior, you know, I was taping the bottom of shoes because you used to borrow shoes from um, companies put tape on the bottom of them use them for the fashion show take the tape off and send them back to them they, they knew this was going on so I'm sitting on the floor as a, a bit of an overweight sort of 20 something year old taping shoes and I'm seeing this going on and I, I just thought oh my god thank god I'm not a model you know they're not it's, it's not that glamorous. It's, it's everybody wants a piece of you. And so in, in all these parts of my early life, I, could, I didn't think I wanted to be famous. I didn't, I was just very happy to be in an environment of creativity 
um, true creativity from a music standpoint, from a fashion standpoint. Um, and I think right now, with this major change going on in the world, we need to keep creativity at our heart, you know, as humans. And it, it, for me, the last 10 years have been a bit stale from a creative standpoint of what's going on. If you look at music and fashion and people just wanting to be famous for the sake of it. So um, I, I kind of listen to what's going on and the zeitgeist around and try and bring that into Floral Street. So for instance, you know, the basis of our brand is who will you be today? So that's, you know, I want people to have a wardrobe of fragrances that you can match with your outfit, how you're feeling. And what I've learned from this aspect of beauty, which is fragrance, is how impactful it can be to your everyday life and yet how overlooked it's been by the industry so you know by having a fragrance is that finishing touch you know today I, I I can't see you obviously um but I have got a pink Alexander McQueen floral shirt on I've done my makeup and I've sprayed myself with neon rose which is one of our fragrances which is uplifting which matches my outfit because I wanted to be professional for you guys and I wanted to bring something even through this computer to you and to, to the listeners you know I'm taking myself seriously along the way as I as I as I learned to do as I moved into a corporate corporate America um, but I think you know it's it's about using your experience and bringing it through and the creativity that we all need your website is incredibly creative you guys are creative you know it's you can't invent creativity in the midst of a computer yes you can technologically create within that environment which is very exciting and my 26 year old that's what he does and he's in his own world within that but it's still a human element that we have to really really treasure yeah powerful words powerful words um and thank you for getting dressed up we really appreciate that um, it, you know it does make such a difference doesn't it in lockdown kind of just going about your daily routine and putting something nice on doing your makeup it makes you feel like a new person I think it's yeah so yeah. hopefully you feel great today um well, I mean, yeah, I mean, continuing on with the amazing story, you have to write a book, please, because I want to hear more about this. But I feel like we should we should switch gears a little bit because there's, you know, a topic around um, Floral Street that's very close to our hearts as well, which is sustainability. Um, and Floral Street is doing incredibly well. So congratulations on that. You know, stopped by the best retailers in the world. Sounds like absolutely flying. So, you know, massive congrats and, and not surprised it's doing well. Um, but sustainability and you you touched on a couple of things around ingredient sourcing, um, the cellophane excess packaging. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about what you do about um, sustainability, how you look at it, which lenses you look through, how you define it, um, and just talk us through your overall sustainability mission at Floral Street, because you're right in that there's very few brands generally in beauty, not just in fragrance, that really look at sustainability beyond anything um, like recyclable packaging and we definitely have to elevate that standard of what we expect from sustainability and beauty um, and we really feel like you know you've nailed that um, in fragrance so we'd love to hear more about yeah your sustainability endeavors. 
Okay. Well, like like you, you know, you you, you stick a, a flag in the ground and 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 you go forward in a different way. And and I wanted sustainability to be at the heart. So that's what we've done. And and every day I'm learning. And and Bernie and we we are learning to be better at this. As you know, it's it generally means things cost a bit more because you're having to go to different suppliers and different things. But the very first choice I made with sustainability was choosing our partners to develop the fragrance, who are Robert A. And they're a sixth-generation fragrance family in grass who have had sustainability and giving back at the heart of what they do. And basically, we can trace all the ingredients where they come from, what farms they come from, when they're harvested. So I can trace everything that goes into our fragrance and happily tell you that in in Haiti, the vetiver is harvested um, and, and they supported a farm in Haiti after the earthquake that really helped start to build um, the business back into Haiti. So, and if you think about ingredients and you came, you know, food was at sort of the start of yours. It, we've gone on that journey here in the UK quite a lot to look at where our food comes from, how it is, um, you know, the husbandry of animals, um, how sustainable it is. But we hadn't done that with fragrance. And, and for me, again, in that gap year I had I was looking and I was thinking wow you know the food industry's moved way on and yet we're not you know and so when I when I was able to meet with Robert Hay, it was it was eye-opening that they are about sustainable ingredients and you know I didn't know so much and again I'm loving I learn every day but um even um you know some of the ingredients um aren't are over harvested in in some countries and and that's not good um so we we've we've worked with them um and we're very transparent on that so that was a starting point then we've used glass for the bottles which is the most recyclable um, material there's problems not problems there's challenges as you know with every single part of once you start saying you're sustainable you just you can try the best you can with what you have to work with um, in the world so um, you know that's what we're doing so the ingredients the packaging um, the pulp packaging I we went to um, the company that makes that for us in the Lake District and again they're a 175 year old paper mill and they had realized they had to modernize themselves not just from paper and they went into pulp production and I literally a bit like when I knocked on the door of the UN and said are we allowed to give you money as a, as a you know as a corporation I just sort of we knocked on their door and said could you think if we designed a, a package you could make it for us and they're like come on in you know we've never done it in beauty let's do it together and so we literally designed this pulp package to put the fragrance in that is totally compostable. And my husband, um, who runs his own business, said, oh, my God, what on earth are you putting that beautiful bottle in that ugly package for? And I said, you just wait. You just wait and see within the next two years what happens. And that package basically elevated us to get a lot of attention 
And our own store, when I opened it in Covent Garden, you know, Joe, who is the founder of Mecca in Australia, came in the store one week after we opened it. And I took her through the brand and explained the package. And she said, the Australian consumer's ready for this. I have to bring you to Australia. And I was sort of like, oh, my God, no, I can't. I can't. You know, we've only just opened. She says, you're coming. And that's one of our biggest businesses right now. And that was because of the sustainability and because of the leap forward I took in my heart and soul to be true about sustainability so it's the packaging we got asked to go on BA um, flights with our packaging uh, with our perfume and they said but you have to put a cellophane wrap on and I said no we're not putting a cellophane wrap on if you want us we'll find another way but it won't be cellophane wrap and and we were the first um, fragrance company to go on board without a cello wrap. So it's about pushing the envelope, um, leading the way, but also listening to the consumers like you do. You know, there is a massive, broad church of consumer, and it's an ageless consumer. I call it a modern consumer, which could be 80 or 18 or 8 that wants things done differently. So, so I felt I was... You know, you know that that church of the sustainability people were helping me fuel ahead. And then the more we've got into it, the more we want to do it. We originally did our candles with a mix of wax because there was European laws about how much it's very complex, but how much um, how much they burn and what they put into the air that we had to. But now we're tra- we're going into 100% soil wax now. So each day we're making new changes about our sustainability. And everything we do is FSC. Um, the board that we use is World Land Trust and FSC certified. We've got the Leaping Bunny, which is cruelty-free and vegan. Um, you know, again, if you look at the word vegan, it's gone from being, you know, this, oh, my God, there's such strange people who ask for things, to being the norm. You know, my daughter and all her friends are, you know. So I'm learning from, I'm learning also from my kids, if you like, how to be in this modern world. And I'm listening, and it's a shame that we've had to lock down because I was, I was going to be attending and speaking at some um, sustainability conferences. So I think it's at the heart of us from the ingredients all the way through to the packaging and even the partners we are choosing. So Sephora USA have a clean policy that they are moving much more towards with the brands that they're stocking. You know, Mecca are the same in Australia. So it's helped leading us and growing the company because we are sustainable. What do you think, kind of touching on, as you said, um, there is a there is an appetite for it and consumer habits are definitely changing. Um, okay. But at Bybee, we find that there's a bit of a mix because it's, it's not mainstream yet. Um, so, and particularly in beauty, there is this sort of, you know, you can't trade performance for ethics. Like people aren't ready to compromise. You know, they still want great products and yeah. um, they perhaps might choose something that isn't sustainable if they feel that it will perform better. So what are you kind of seeing among your consumers? Like what, how many of them are coming to you for sustainability? How many of them come to you for affordability, as you mentioned, or just for a great perfume? And then, you know, what's that kind of journey like for them with discovering 
what you do in sustainability you know is it do they want all of that information in their first purchase or is it actually as they come back to you and they become more loyal they start to understand more like what are you kind of what is the sort of like appetite for it all for all of the efforts that you're making you know what I think it's a real mix and what what I what I believe is that you can't you know I didn't set out to be what I call brown rice and sandals you know I, I didn't set out to preach here I think the way you make change like the way Mac made change with transgender people being in a position of power in the beauty industry, if you like, at the time, is you just, you have great product. So to your point, right, women are really bloody smart, you know, and if you've got to part with some money for your product, especially now in a, in a time when you, you know, most people are concerned about their finances and things, you know, you want to know that product is going to perform for you and be great. So my first thing was our fragrances have to be brilliant, they are my my at the heart of this I wanted beautiful beautiful you know eau de parfum fragrances and affordable price so you bring somebody in so there's the packaging becomes secondary in effect to telling the story because you need the great product right and it just happens to be you know compostable box and FSC certified I wanted to take the hard work out of it for the consumer you do. and and but but the vegan symbolism and the cruelty free has attracted a definite consumer that is seeking that first you know but then when you also deliver on top of that great product it's a relief to that consumer to find something that not only fits with their lifestyle but also pays off in a really positive beauty way. So I, th- I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? You know, especially with skincare, I absolutely know that. And, and it depends what marketplace you're in. You know, the American consumer just wants payoff. They, they, they kind of, they're not even there yet about biodegradable or anything. So in order for me to have a successful business, I have to look at, what consumers in what part of the world and what they're looking for. And I have to amplify different messages in different marketplaces for different consumers or amplify different messages for consumers in the same marketplace. Like we did, you know, we were popping up at VegFest and we met lots of new consumers who are vegan and vegetarian. And so I think it's about not preaching, but... Product has to be at the heart of beauty. It has to be the payoff at the end of the day. You can, you can dress anything up in whatever you want, but I think women want the payoff. Otherwise, they won't come back again. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, we would agree with all of that. Um, yeah, you have to kind of amplify certain messages in certain environments and make the messaging relevant for the consumer depending on what their interests are um for sure and that's the most important thing I think when you're when you have so many layers to a brand um it's a kind of blessing and a curse at the same time um I guess just to kind of finish off perhaps I think you know we haven't really touched much on the the dreaded COVID current situ um but obviously it's it's a situation that we're facing at the moment we're all small business owners um you know it sounds like we're at very similar stages of business so dealing with the same kind of like daunting issues um but 
you know, we always try to end on a positive note as well. Um, and I think, you know, from our earlier chat, you seem to be coping and and seem really positive um, about, you know, the outcome and the future of Floral Street despite um, the current situation. So if you had any tips um, for fellow entrepreneurs um, who run their own business, how to stay motivated, how to stay positive, um, some words of wisdom from, you know, a veteran that has seen um, many kind of different crises of, of different sorts. You mentioned um, 9-11 as well and being through that. So if you could share any words of wisdom or, or tips for fellow entrepreneurs, um, I know we would all really appreciate that. Okay, well, number one, don't panic, Mr. Manring, um, because it's very easy to panic and try and cling on to what was. Um, I think if you can almost take yourself out of your own body and your own head and your own emotion and look at what's happening and look at your business and use this time really wisely to say, look, it's a new day with a new future. What is working? What in my gut did I know wasn't kind of working, but I've clung on to because that's what we do. And step back from yourself like we're being forced to do from society right now. We're being forced to step out of what was and, and look at your business and say, you know, what is working? What do I want to bring with me to the future? And what do I want to leave behind now? And how can I, is this the opportunity to let go of some of that excess luggage? So that's what I would say. I would say try and have a positive conversation once a day with somebody who's a champion of your brand or your company or even in your personal life who helps you feel good about what you're doing and and look at new opportunities my goodness in the last two weeks I sort of put out to the universe you know should I be even doing this has it got a future and in through in through the universe came new opportunities to launch online in the world so so look for new opportunities don't don't think that this time has to stop you it is just slowing you down to make wiser decisions I think Brilliant. I think that is, yeah, that's exactly what we all need is, is that like looking for opportunity and um, trying to find some positives. I think that is super helpful. Thank you. Um, just to finish, we do like to ask everyone um, a kind of like beauty recommendations tips. I mean, I feel like with your experience in the industry, these are going to be good. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about what you're using at the moment? Can be skincare, hair, colour, body, obviously fragrance, um, your favourite Floral Street fragrance. Um, yeah, just any like tips or recommendations of products or brands that you're loving at the moment? Okay, well, I'm a massive, massive fan of Neil's Yard. Um, and I'm a I'm an I'm an aging hippie really, but um, but I I normally start my day mixing my own little concoction of, of Neil Jard oils um, and burning them and doing a little bit of yoga. Um, and I don't know if that's beauty; it's more lifestyle. But that sets me up for the day. And um, product wise, I. Um, I'm testing out quite a few things at the moment. So that's, but I, I, I do use um, quite an expensive cream that I've used for the last three years. Um, it's Piotage, and I just use that once at night. Um, and at my age, it, it, and, and you know, it's the one thing that I sort of can't live without really. Um, 
I'm because my hair my hair's pretty much okay. Um, but, but I am using a sort of a, a, a you know a purpley shampoo to try and keep the color going. And what I've really noticed that I'm missing is eyebrow eyebrows at the moment. So um, I'm using a I can't remember the brand actually. Sorry, um, but I'm, I'm trying to keep my eyebrows um, looking good and, and a little bit with a little bit of color. Um, I'm hugely loyal to MAC Cosmetics, so I, I've got a massive collection of MAC lipsticks and I tend to match my, as I said to you today, I'm wearing Neon Rose fragrance, which is the Floral Street fragrance, um, and then I'll put a, a beautiful pink lipstick on that complements that. Um, and candles have, you know, always played a big part in my life, so we've got incredible candles at Floral Street and I'm, I'm testing out a lot of new ones as well um, but there's a Rose Provence one which I'm really enjoying because it's bringing in I'm feeling like I'm in Provence and it's bringing joy and happiness to me so um, so that's that's what I'm doing right now um, drinking lots of water um, and trying to eat healthily um, and that's it really Oh, to be in Provence right now. I know, I know, I know. I think I'm feeling that today. I really want to be in Provence. <laughs> yeah, just as it started raining here. Um, I know, but you know what? Central London is where I live and um, London is is being the best it can be right now. I don't know where you guys are, but, you know, people are being yeah. really nice to each other. You know, we're really, really lucky here in the UK to have sensible advice we've got a national you know a national health service uh, our streets are still being clean so I feel completely blessed and I want to take that feeling um into the brand for the future I think is what I feel yeah definitely and yeah we're gonna we're gonna get through it I agree London's a an interesting place I've never it's just so bizarre to see it so quiet as well you know walking through the streets of central London and there's just no one there you can just walk down the middle of Oxford Street there's just no cars or it's just yeah it's such a bizarre place but it's it's quite like magnificent to see it so empty and like be able to appreciate the buildings and everything because it is such a great city um I I think you've got to remember those things you know remember remember those we will all remember this in our futures and look back, um, you know, and say, wow, like you just said, you just described Oxford Street like that. Um, So I think it's about really um, being grateful every day to the beautiful things that we're noticing because it's quiet. We're hearing the birds more, you know, we've been blessed with good weather and, you know, but we did need some rain. So I think it's all those things. Um, And I'm, I'm also now finding it is informing me for new products for the future, even what we're going through right now. And I'm utilizing my time to absorb what I think we might need for the future via my brand or your brand or whatever. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been really nice to talk to you. I hope I, hope I get to meet you in person when, when yes. this is all over. Certainly. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for joining us. That's been so insightful and interesting. And yeah, I feel like positive and just psyched to have a good, a good week now. I'm like, good. 
good yeah. sign inspiration <laughs> and get creative <laughs> good and stay safe and I love your brand I love what you're doing and um and when this is all over maybe we can get together and and start bonding together with other brands who have a similar outlook and and see how we can all support each other yeah definitely thanks so much great Elsie and Dominica thank you thanks Michelle okay bye. bye bye Thank you for listening to the Clean Beauty Insiders podcast. Give us a follow over on Instagram at Clean Beauty Insiders or head over to our blog, cleanbeautyinsiders.com to read more content. Don't forget your discount code on bybee.com. You can enter CBI15 at the checkout for 15% off your order.